This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Bingeworthy and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day, they present a new gem, and you have one month to watch it. Current highlights now showing include Portuguese coming-of-age tale, John Fromm, as well as a global retrospective on Philippe Garel, featuring exclusives like Les Autres Solitudes and The Birth of Love. Mubi is available on the web, on the Roku platform, PlayStation, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, and Samsung Smart TVs, as well as on mobile devices including iPad, iPhone, and Android. The Playlist listeners are eligible for a special 30-day free trial. Regular people can only receive seven days free. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start watching. You are listening to Bingeworthy, the episodic television and long-form narrative conversation of the Playlist Podcast Network and theplaylist.net. Here's your host, Kimber Myers. Hello and welcome to Bingeworthy, the Playlist official TV podcast. I'm your host, Kimber Myers, and with me today I have our fearless leader, editor-in-chief, Rodrigo Perez, and today we're going to talk about the new Netflix series, Master of None, from Aziz Ansari and Alan Yang, and it's returning for its second season. Yeah, have you, have you, you've watched Master of None, I'm assuming. You've yes. You've <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to parcel it out because it's so good that um, even just waiting like a week and a half to get through the whole thing was was pretty painful. But now I've, I've, I've watched it. Are you it. are you binging it or are you? No, like, no. One at a time. Okay. Yeah. Um, snacks. Snacks. Did you binge it then? I've <laughs> like mostly binged it. I think like I watched it. Like a normal it. human being. Well, you know, I think it took me like two or three nights. Okay. But I would, you know, do like three or four episodes at a time. Cool. Um, I gotta say, uh, season two is like really good. Yeah. But I wasn't much of a fan of season one. No, I I prefer season two. Which so to kind of backtrack a little bit for anybody who's like, what is this Master of None thing? Why are people talking about this? Um, so Master of None is a Netflix original that just released its second season. It was created by Aziz Ansari and Alan Yang, who won an Emmy for it in its first season. And it's about a young, around 30-something actor in New York City named Dev Shah, who is also played by Ansari, and his um, exploits in life and love and all of that. Um, kind of loosely based on Ansari. Yes, yeah, loosely based on Ansari. And there is an Alan Yang counterpart as, as well in uh, Kelvin Yu, who plays uh, Dev's friend Brian. And, uh, yeah, so there are definitely some real-life counterparts and correlations to what's actually happening and, um... Which one is the best friend? Is it Eric um, or... Oh, so there's also, in addition to, uh, Brian, who's played by Kelvin Yu, the mm-hmm. other best friend who's been more prominent, which I'm not complaining about, right. Arnold. Right. And that's Eric Graham. Right, okay. He's amazing. <laughs> like, steal 
he's great, he, they're great together. Season one focused on Deb's relationship with Rachel. And uh, not to spoil season one, but I think it's fair at this point. Um, Dev and Rachel broke up, and season two finds them at the beginning in Italy making pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to recover from the yes, breakup. Yes, yeah. Recovering from the breakup, really indulging in food and his love of food, um, and not being in New York where he had this great romance. Right, with. sort of like... I've been broken up with, this is really bad, I need some headspace, and like, takes off to, to Italy because he can, and because he's an actor, and presumably he's got some, <laughs> some decent amount of money. Yeah, um, from that Go-Gurt commercial. Yeah, the yeah. Go-Gurt commercial. And um, I guess, you know, I, I was saying I didn't really love season one, which still stands, but there's some, some interesting things going on at, like, in directing-wise, and things like that. James Ponsolt directed a few episodes, and we should note that Aziz... Ontario himself directs a bunch of episodes. Eric Wareham directs episodes, and Harris Whittles, um, you know that guy? He could, mm -hmm. he died of a heroin overdose. Yes. He's that comedian um, writer who was wrote a lot for Parks and Rex. Yeah. He was a really good friend of Aziz Ansari. He was one of his best friends, and he did he wrote the story for the Hot Ticket. He didn't write the episode, obviously, but the story is by him and it's credited to him. So that's kind of interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, don't forget Lynn Shelton also yes, directed that's a right. couple. Yes, she wrote, she directed two, and I love Lynn, and she's great. Um, but to me, um, you know, it even starts with that that first episode. That the, it's essentially it's called the Thief, but it's basically based on the Bicycle Thief by yeah. um, Sika. Yes, Sika. Yeah, um, taking us back to film studies that's 101. Right. That's right. <laughs> and he's he's a an apprentice pasta maker in Modena, Italy. And um, that whole episode's in black and white. It's shot like obviously like Italian foreign film. The music in it is fantastic. It's all Beautiful. like you know uh, just old school Italian. I think there's some Nina Rota in there. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and and I guess my point was, uh, I think it's a, a major step up from season one. Agreed. I I thought season one was so incredibly assured for first time showrunners, and obviously. Aziz has been um, forming his voice for a while as a comedian, and Alan Yang has, has worked on shows previously as well, um, but for two first-time showrunners, I was incredibly impressed and was wondering if it was going to be one great season and then just nothing because mm -hmm. they burned it all out, but no, I, I agree. I think artistically, thematically, Everything season two is such a step up and feels yes. so special. It, to me, it's a step up, but also I wasn't very convinced in season one. Like I didn't think he was a very good actor. Yeah, the show has sort of like um, even still in season two to some degree, it has this sort of shocking uh, uh, propensity of like really putting non-actors and people who cannot yes. act to the fore. Um, so that is a little clunky, and I just feel like you know how like sometimes, especially with the old school network television, when you're watching things. The show took a minute to find its groove. Mm -hmm. I think that's less the case with peak TV lately. Like yeah. something's just great. But, um, you know, I think back in the day a little bit, you'd be, like all of a sudden, you know, you'd hear season two, season three, the show's really good. But it, it took a, a minute to find its sea legs. Yeah. It's almost never the case in peak TV. It's either, I mean, it might be part of our culture too, because it's just <laughs> so like, this sucks or this, or this, this is amazing. Yeah. Like there's usually no 
uh, in between. But um, uh, yeah, I think I think the show took a minute to find its legs. That's how I felt about it. I wasn't really into season one, and I was sort of getting a little bit bored with it. And then people were like, "You have to see season two. You have to see season two. <laughs> it took me a minute, and then I and, I and then I started really really getting into it, and it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I I love. It, visually, I think, is incredibly strong in the fact that there is actually a visual style to it, which for a comedy, well, not as rare as it would have been a few years ago when you have other shows like Dear White People also on Netflix, which has a really strong visual sense. Um, but rules. Oh, God, so great. We need to do, do another podcast yeah, about that. Yeah, Dear White People but yeah, I am impressed by how it looks visually, that there's so much attention to detail paid there, which generally most comedies, even in peak TV, are focused more on the jokes or the character and yeah. less on I what we see. I really thought about that, but you're right. It is really well shot. Yeah. Um, it looks really good, too, like, mm. you know, just quality-wise. Yeah. Um, let's talk our, our favorite episodes, because there's <laughs> a, at least two that are, like, really fantastic. Yes. So... What is your favorite? Well, there's, I guess, I don't know, your, I would say it's like New York, I Love You, and The First Date. Um, and to explain a little bit, bit, The First Date is essentially um, an episode about Tinder, essentially. <laughs> um, it's directed by Eric, where I'm, who plays the Arnold character, who's hysterical. My, I, when I first started watching season two, or even season one, I was like, he's funnier than Aziz. He's really great. He's really brilliant. Um, and so it's directed by him, and it's essentially like Deb goes on a bunch of dates with different women. And the way it's cut and told is amazing because he's like, you know, on a date, and he's having this conversation, and then it cuts, and or the camera will move, and then he's having a conversation with another girl. So it's like he's been on like 30 dates, and the show like intercuts all those dates together. And, and you think it's going to be like, oh, just one date, one date, another, another. But it cuts back to each date, and it's like maybe there's about 10 of them, and they're interweaved, yeah. cutting back and forth. Um, it's pretty brilliant. It is so well executed, well edited, um, super entertaining, and I felt also quite true to life. And... I mean, not that I've slept with anyone with a racist statue on their their bedside, but um, <laughs> no, it's it was a great episode, incredibly entertaining, and just fit with with what we love about the show and about his voice and about dating in New York. Not that either of us has experienced that a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm married, so. Um, <laughs> she's long term, long term relationship. So it's been a while, and I'm actually even like I didn't even I never done Tinder because it was uh, pre. You yeah. Know. But I think everyone still um, can appreciate that concept. Totally. Right? Um, You've been on dates. You have the restaurant that you bring your first date to, and and, and, and we're also all like social media literate. So mm -hmm. even if you haven't been on Tinder, although I've been on Tinder on my friend's phone. <laughs> Swipe through people. Like, right? no, 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 you don't want to do that. Yeah. You do oh, yes, you want to. You know, I, that's sort of fun to do. But yeah, we're so social media literate that you don't necessarily need to have done it to be able to understand it. Like Absolutely. we all understand instant gratification. We all understand, you know, messaging someone and the hearing back. We know the idea of texting someone and waiting, hearing, seeing the little bubbles when someone's responding. Yeah. It's not that different. You can understand. So um, 
there's a there's a brilliance in that episode about the anxiety of dating, yes. the pleasures of dating, the pains of dating, the frustrations of it, um, things that all apply to everyone, whether you've been on Tinder or not. Um, the it's show, universal. Yeah, in yeah. In terms of the timing in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, everyone understands whether it's dating, relationships, and that's still part of it. And, um, you know, there's some great girls, there's some terrible girls. <laughs> uh, um, he goes on good dates, he goes on bad dates. Yeah. He's not necessarily the best, you know, dater in the whole world either. Um, so, and, and I like your point about, like, it literally is maybe one of the best edited episodes of TV comedy I think I've ever seen. It's just so well put together. Yeah. The writing is phenomenal. I'd be really curious to see how much of that was in the editing room and how much of it was the writing. Yeah. Like, if it's written, like, uh, non-linearly like that, I'm sure some of it is, but you never know in the editing room that they could, you know, even cut it up more, but it's a brilliant episode. Yeah, and I was also really excited to see, um, see Lauren Miller, I think is her name. She was... One of the more successful dates. Okay. The one um, that he does go home with. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, he, that he goes home with, with and sleeps with. Yes. And she's got the racist. Yes. Um, but she, I, I really like. Um, yeah, she's good. And liked previously in um, For a Good Time Call, which I felt like was an underrated sexy comedy. Oh, really? No, yeah. No. But she's uh, Seth Rogen's wife, so she'll sometimes pop in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she's, she is wonderful and deserves more great comedy roles as well. So, you love First Date. What other episodes do you love? Right. Well, New York I Love You is probably the, the I think we'll probably both, both agree, the best episode of, of the season by far. It might be one of the best. No? No? I'm, I'm giving him a look that you guys can't see right now. I don't know about by far. I okay. do think it's the best episode. But it's maybe on par with the... the the, the dating one. I would argue first date, and then um, I'll make my case for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Once, once okay. we talk about yeah. uh, okay about uh, other elements. Yeah. So I okay. New York, I love you. But before that, I just have to really, really give it up for uh, Bob, Bobby Cannavale, who I think people remember from. And people probably remember from a lot of things. But I was first introduced to him on a major level on Boardwalk Empire. He yeah. played like one of the villain, I think, in season. Three, which is pretty amazing in that. Um, and he plays an Anthony, he plays essentially Anthony Bourdain. He plays a rock star <laughs> chef who's like on the Food Network or whatever it's called, Food yeah. TV is on, on the show. Yeah. And he's insane. He like plays it like he's the most cocky, coked up, but super happy and super yeah. friendly and like everybody's his best friend. It's perfect casting. Yeah, he, and he's amazing. He's like totally amazing. And then I think he appears in the first show, which is or the first episode, which is the dinner party. He might have showed, premiered a little bit later, but the dinner party is when he's having a date at, or a, a dinner party at his house, and he's like, you know, got this swanky, amazing house in, in Manhattan, and John Legend's there, and John Legend plays a song at his party. And yeah. He, I mean, he's just phenomenal. He nails that part, so I have to give it up for him. I don't know if his, like, episode, if he's in the best episode or not, but... Um, he's a great character. Yeah, yeah. And so, New York, I Love You is is brilliant because it, it, it's about New York and it, and it doesn't really feature Aziz or Dev and or Arnold. Um, they're barely in it. They start at the beginning. They're going to think about going to see this movie, this fake movie called Death Castle. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're like, it's the, it's, I think Nicholas Cage is supposed to be in it and it's this 
thing that everybody wants to, to go see, and there's a spoiler, and they're like, don't tell me the twist, don't, don't, don't tell me the twist. And then it cuts, and then sort of like goes into this whole other thing where it's intersecting between the lives of New Yorkers who yeah. don't ever appear on the show again, um, just have their, it's like three different vignettes. One is with a doorman, uh, another one is with a, a deaf girl and her husband. Um, they're like in a Bed Bath and Beyond or something. They're in Eddie. Oh, are they? Okay. <laughs> okay, you're right, you're right. And then... I know my New York home you know, store. <laughs> you do. And then there's a, a taxi driver, a Rwandan immigrant taxi driver, and his friends. Um, I think what I love about... I mean, it's a funny fucking uh, yeah, episode great. as well, but there's such a... And I think that runs one of the themes. Is it's just like a... Especially that one of this empathy for people. All these people are essentially marginalized, mm-hmm. right? You have Eddie, who's like this uh, uh, Latino guy who's a he's a, a doorman, right? Mm-hmm. So he's opening the doors for rich, rich white people, and he has to do favors for people, and they're all. So this old lady goes, you know, don't eat mango at your at your desk, and it's not him; it's somebody else. Ugh. So he's like sort of juggling everybody in his building and all the problems yeah. and he's just the doorman but he's you know treated like garbage or treated well and so he's marginalized and then you've got the Rwandan immigrant who's the cab driver and obviously cab drivers are paid or treated really well and he's yeah. living with friends in a small apartment there's like four of them and they're living like essentially like it's a dorm yeah like there's a bunk bed in the kitchen yeah and every, everything's right there they're like obviously making no money um and, and the show follows them for a little bit. And then there's the, the, the deaf girl uh, who's struggling with her sex life. And yeah. she's basically signing, the, you know, they, there's no really any dialogue, in, or there's no spoken dialogue in that video. And there's and no sound, right? Right, there's it's yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Totally, and so they're just doing sign language with subtitles, which is just really, really fucking brilliant, really smart, yeah. no sound. Um, and so the, just the way that there's empathy for every single character, that everyone's marginalized in some respect, and the the way that the show uh, respectfully, you know, empathizes with them and their plight, but without, without like, making you pity them or yeah. anything, you know? They're, they're like, especially the, the Rwandan guy and his friends, like, you know, they go out, they have that party, they're a little bit fucked over, but they go out, they're trying to go clubbing. Yeah. And, you know, they sort of have this shitty night, they're, like, fucked over by people, but then they go to, um... Lucky's. Uh, yeah, Lucky's, Lucky's Burgers. <laughs> and, you know, they meet these girls, and they essentially have, like, a, a little party in Lucky's. Like, yeah. it's impromptu party, because one of their friends works there. Um, and yeah, and so it's like kind of really joyful and really awesome, terrific episode. I hope we haven't like totally spoiled it for someone who hasn't yeah. seen it. It's just really amazing, and then it ties in at the end with going to see Death Castle. It's yeah, it's so perfect. I think too, not only are these types of people normally marginalized, obviously in the real world, but also in TV, where you have a brief conversation with the cab driver if he gets a line at all mm-hmm. or the woman behind the counter at the bodega or um, the the doorman but instead they get their own scenes here and they're just magical and it is I love the title of course it is New York I love you because it feels like a very New York story that is also something that I hope that people can really enjoy beyond New York but it's also I love that it's so much better than the movie that it shares a title with <laughs> yes. so much better um, but yeah no that episode is fantastic I think that's a really good observation that like 
you see these people all the time in television, but they're on the fringes, yeah. just like they're on the fringes in real life. And, you know, he takes these characters and gives them the lead, essentially. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of want to watch that show all the time. I Absolutely. Wanna see, I want to see, like, New York, I Love You, the show yeah. that, like, does vignettes. Or, I mean, it would be obviously better if you would just give one person a lead. But the idea of, like, these vignettes of these of these sort of people on the fringes that you, that don't, you don't see on TV who get their own shows. And, and they have their own storylines and this little thing, you know? Like, maybe you, you could even do a show where, like you pick like three or four or you know maybe six yeah. and you weave those stories and their narratives across the whole season I I would 100% watch that that would be cool right um, before we move on to I, I think discussing how important place is in the show both the first couple of episodes in Italy which had me just absolutely wanting to go to Italy and um, eat everything not just in Italy but I had to be like eating dinner while watching or like grabbing a pint of ice cream from the fridge. Um, yeah, there's certainly yeah, what the food is. one place. I'm like, yeah, I'm obviously not smelling it. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> eating it. And, but I'm like, oh my God, I need to go to that place. Yeah. It just like looks amazing. Yeah. The, the food. It's a total foodie show. Oh, for sure. Completely. Like he's obviously a foodie in real life. Yeah. All he does in Italy is just eat, 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 and like you see him like going like almost <laughs> every uh, every episode in Italy is him going to like multiple restaurants in one episode, right? Yeah, which is you know that's life goals. Um, but also New York, I think, is so lovingly shot, and the locations are all really well chosen. Whoever is whether it's coming from the location scout or it's knowledge from and sorry, and I think it must yeah, be. Like, it just seems like there's a lot of personal experience of like going, like Lucky's. It's like a, I mean, a great yeah. joy, but kind of random, right? It's totally like you, random. You have to know Lucky's to like, and just all the spots, right? Yeah. They're all those kinds of like, you kind of had to be there. Yeah, the, been there once. It, the amount of detail and the fact that place is so important makes the show feel really vibrant and really authentic yeah like as as somebody who lives in New York there I've had far fewer moments with the show where I'm like well that geography is wrong and also with the New York I loved the Blizzard episode where like it's just totally quiet which is and they're walking down the middle of the street and like that is New York in a blizzard and I love New York in a blizzard <laughs> so. it, it uh it reminds me of you know the Dylan shot where they're going down in the snow yeah. the street, right on the album uh, I'm blanking on the album and I should know it, but um, someone's going to yell at me and they're going to put it in the comment section. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that feeling, and it's just lived in and it's experienced, it's yeah. authentic, um, and I definitely agree with you that you've seen, like, I'm sure any listeners, any seen a movie or a TV where it's like, I mean, I guess if you're, the other thing is if you're not a New Yorker, maybe it doesn't mean yeah. as much, although that authenticity probably bleeds through in some way. I hope but so. But there's definitely, like, I think anybody can recognize that when they're watching something and it's supposed to be New York or it's supposed to be whatever, and it just feels phony. It like Cleveland? Feel, yeah. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, it, and it's not even that you're in a different location. It's just something about... You could, you know, even the way you're saying, like, the geography, like, you could be shooting in New York, but you might be shooting in a place that's, like, and the way you've shot it, it just doesn't feel real. Yeah. But this, I, I thought they really captured what makes each place they went to really special. And every time I was like, I, if I didn't know where it was, I was looking up where it was because I'm like, I want to go. And not just because 
it's cool or whatever because Master of None was there. I was like, the food looks great. They, the decor is awesome. Like, no, I have. That's what they should do. Someone should do that if they haven't already. Like doing uh, like a yeah. like a visual online tour of like here's where they went and like <laughs> here's where that you can find it and like I, this whole like little map of like the major locations and um, somebody has done it, but I can't remember which website. Um, we can do a shout. Sounds out like something Vulture would do. Yeah, Vulture or maybe Thrillist. Uh, but yeah, it's I also can kind of see it as the like as this decade's version of the Sex in the City tour. Yes. But, like, probably on foot, not on a big bus. Right. Or yes. a bike. They'll figure out, or, like, pedicabs. They'll figure out the, like, hipster way to approach yeah. that. But, yeah. So I would argue very strongly for Thanksgiving, which I thought was beautifully executed, both in terms of... So Thanksgiving is, unsurprisingly, the Thanksgiving episode that tracks the friendship between Dev and Denise, um, who's played by Lena Waithe, um, who also co-wrote the episode. And it begins... She's in, one of his best friends, too. Yes, yeah, and I think um, he, she actually helped shape the part because she wasn't... I think the role wasn't initially for, uh, for a black woman and wasn't initially written to be a lesbian, but they based it more on her. Right. And um, so both of those aspects of her identity really play strongly into She's the lead Thanksgiving. Of that, that yeah. Um, and a giant shout out to <laughs> <laughs> the sneeze apparently in the background. Um, a giant shout out to Angela Bassett who plays yes. Denise's mother. Yes. And um, also I cannot recall the name of Denise's aunt um and then her grandmother who felt just very i mean like i i know a woman who is denise's grandmother like curses and is really funny and sweet and like is not to be messed with um but thanksgiving i think is beautifully done how it tracks where we are in our lives and in particular focuses on the experience of a black woman coming out to her family um, and was really funny on top of being incredibly touching like I will laugh about is it nipples and toes 23 (laughs) (laughs) Um, both the Instagram handle of uh, Denise's short term girlfriend that she brings home one year as well as devs bringing it up at the table yeah that's the, again that's the other thing the show is really diverse she yes. has a lot of different perspectives puts other people puts those perspectives in the lead um is very uh for lack of a better term woke yes um, <laughs> super diverse and and um yeah just giving um a marginalized voices perspectives and and uh and their their point of views which yeah. is just um and within and with and without just giving them, uh, hey, let's give these marginalized voice. It's like it's funny, it's lived in, it's humorous, it's it's poignant. Yes. Um, and uh, I think that that episode's a good reflection of, of the show in general. Absolutely. It feels also. It doesn't ever feel forced. It feels very authentic to the show's voice and what it's doing. Yeah, and, and to that end, to the people who created it, right? Absolutely. Like it feels. Um, that's their experience, that's their life, and that's what they're communicating and expressing in that show, and that's why the show, to me, is so great, because it just feels like 
oh, this is his personality, these are the friends he hangs out, this is what his life is like. He's translating that on the screen and it feels very personal in that way. Yeah. And um, I think that's what makes it just seem so unique. Um, and like, he's just gotten better. Like I didn't, I wasn't really convinced of his acting in the first season. I just was like, nah. and he's just gotten a lot better. Agree. He's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Um, and we should probably mention, because we haven't, and we talked around, yeah. we talked about Francesca, right? And she's like the, the, the main, the, I guess the third character or the second character, if you want to think about it. Yeah. And I think it's, I do think it's interesting that we haven't actually mentioned Francesca up until this point. Well, I think there's, my main reason for it is she's maybe the, my favorite, my least favorite part of the show. Yeah, and we'll, we'll go and we'll give you the fair warning for spoilers here. I feel like we haven't. Should we go back and get context on who she is? Yeah, um, so peace out if you haven't watched at least most of the show. We'll say all of it. Um, so yeah, Francesca is the woman who works at the uh, shop where Dev is making pasta in, in Italy. Modena, yeah. Yeah, Modena. Um, she is the granddaughter of the shop owner and a restaurant owner. And um, she and Dev have great chemistry while in uh, Italy. And then she visits him multiple times back in New York. But they start off as this, this great friendship in the beginning. And she's yes. sort of like, he's in Italy and he doesn't know anybody and you know he's he's gone there to get away at the same time it ends up being really lonely um and uh uh and so she really in a way like takes him under her wing or at least like hey i know you're here by yourself and you're probably lonely or don't know people and then hang out with me and my boyfriend and my friends and yeah and she becomes sort of his extended family in, in, in italy and so she's super sweet, she's super nice, they really kick it, you know, hit it off. And I think for him too, like be, like I think you know where we're heading, they, there's a sort of, uh, I wouldn't say there's a relationship with them, but, but they, there's something clearly going on. Um, they have, by the end of the season, spoiler, 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 they're like, <laughs> essentially like revealing that they're in love with one another. Um, that episode, the penultimate one, um, which is called Amarsi Unpo, uh, was it's about twice as long as the average episode. I oh, think it was almost an hour, um, and really details. I think Dev at his most um, unsure and perhaps heartbroken as he's in love with this woman who is engaged to right. to someone else. And it, I felt like I was, I was made physically uncomfortable in a good way by like remembering being that like unsure about what's what's going to happen with this person that I'm in love with and right the complications there and oh. everyone's been been there in some sort of way yeah. right um, and but yeah I mean I think we've talked to, to me we've talked about it the least of everything else because yeah. it just to me is becomes the least interesting part of the rest of them are really funny and, and really vibrant and the love story thing isn't as strong and it's not played out as strong. Um, she's good. Yeah. I like her. I don't think she's necessarily amazing. Yeah. Um, she is super charming. She is. And she is like absolutely the Italian girl that you'd have a crush yeah. on. Yeah, totally. But something about maybe it maybe it's a maybe it boils down to the show is uh, much more in its element when it's being humorous mm -hmm. and uh, observant. 
yes. right, of, of New York and observant of all the cultures and, and other uh, you know, walks of life. And this one becomes, a, that's a little bit external, and this mm -hmm. one sort of becomes internal, it just becomes about Dev and her for the most part, and this sort of will they or won't they kind of relationship thing that we've kind of seen in every sitcom. I mean, yeah. go back to Cheers, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like in, in a lame, but like, you know, first thing that popped into my head. Yeah, no, um, totally accurate. And so uh, the show starts to, like its pace starts to slow down. It kind of dips yeah. and then it kind of goes into a little bit of a plateau as we see them, you know, um, sort of inch forward in their relationship about their affection and their, you know, their their friends, but then the, and they're very affectionate with one another, but that affection keeps growing and growing and growing um, in a real natural kind of way. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I, I guess um, it's it's funny because it, it starts off the show and it becomes the thread through the entire show, and obviously by the end it, it is the show. Yeah. But it's to me maybe the least interesting part. Yeah, I think she's also by nature. Her absence is one of the most important aspects of her, whether she's in Italy or she's not hanging out with Deb on a particular night because she's out with her boyfriend or fiance. And that that slights her a bit. But yeah, that I just I didn't care as as much. Like even though I was like racked by nostalgic pains around their relationship, it was also something where I agree. I was. I would rather have had more scenes with him and Arnold than, yeah. than more yeah. scenes with him and Francesca, or more scenes with him and his father in particular. Is it coming back for a third season? So, in a while, I think. So, in a uh, an interview with Vulture, he said, "I've got to become a different guy before I write a, a third season." Is my personal thought. I've got to get married or have a kid or something. I don't have anything else to say about being a young guy, being single in New York, eating food all around all the time. Wow, that's pretty great because again, it's like yeah. his life that he's expressed. Absolutely, and he's and he said it. He said his piece. So, I, I to me, that's the most refreshing thing you can possibly do is genuinely say. I'm not doing any more of this because I, I need more of my life to, yeah. to, to, to explain, to, to new things to express. Most television is like, oh, we've been season three, let's keep going, season four. And then they just, you know, that's the, I think we've talked about this on the, on the podcast before, it sort of drives me mental that like, just people just keep going because they can. Yeah. And it does feel like a real natural way to end right now. And the fact that he's like... He's essentially saying, like, look, the quality wouldn't be as good if I just keep going to, for the point of going. Like, I, mean, yeah. I need something to say. And God, if everybody in television did that, oh. rather than, you know, the quality, we just see, like, crazy quality, right? Because it's not, you don't locked into, hey, you're going to, seven seasons of this or whatever. And, and you know, it's like, I, I find that bold and I find that refreshing and I wish more people would do it. I, and, and as I said before, I love... I guess it's, this is not a limited series, but I love the, the idea of a limited Absolutely. series. You, you say something and you say it in a short period of time and then you're done. You don't have to extend parts. It's just repeating yourself over and over and over again. Yeah, and I think that that is one of the benefits of it being on Netflix, where there is less pressure to fill a half hour on an actual schedule yeah. versus slotting in. This is coming out this week. Kimmy Schmidt is coming out next week. Um, and there are certainly linear networks that do allow that sort of freedom, whether it's an FX in particular with Louis 
or um, allowing Noah Hawley and Fargo to take a little bit more time between seasons or um, HBO with with Curb like right. so that I think is is a really wonderful thing about the evolution of TV is that certain companies are, are better about allowing for that creative freedom and acknowledging that that might actually create a better show. You know, you bring up Louie and sort of re rewinds me right back to the beginning because I think if I was explaining someone, if I was explaining uh, Master of None to someone in season one, I haven't watched a few episodes, I'd mm -hmm. probably say, oh, it's like kind of like Louie yeah. right through with Aziz Ansari. And I think maybe that might be fair to say, but it's totally evolved past that. It's become Absolutely. its own show, its own personality, it's Aziz. You know, uh, Louis obviously made that sort of template of the, the idea that you can have show someone's life and sort of like, it doesn't have to be like narratively linear, you can jump around and you can say lots of different things and uh, you sort of pop in and out of their lives. That obviously, like uh, Master of None has that element, but it's really become its own thing. It's really, it's personalized and uh, I think it's he's done a tremendous job with it. Just because again, I first season I think it was trying to find its legs. It wasn't quite there. hadn't quite found its voice. I mean, it found its voice, but not in this such self-assured, confident way that season two is. Season yeah. two and just the way it shot, everything that we've said. It's just. I mean, I, I was sort of complaining. A little sort of on a tangent because uh, we're hopefully going to talk about I Love Dick on Amazon. Yes. Uh, which I adore. I think it's amazing. But it wasn't really getting as much attention the week or two that it first started. And then I realized it was because Master of None had come out. And that sort of like hoovered up all the critical attention in it. Because everyone was just really, really into it. And I think I Love Dick got a little bit missed. But since these things have a little bit more long tail these days, you know, even though, you know, who knows, maybe Twin Peaks is still in this moment too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, it's a great show that I think is... I mean, it's a testament to Master of None that it was so buzzed about that it sort of like wiped out everything down, you know? It's like Absolutely. everything like sucked up the attention of everything. Yeah, but now that hopefully people are either finished with Master of None or about finished, they can move on to other great comedies like Yeah, we highly recommend it. And uh, I mean, even if they don't do Master of None, I would love to see those guys try and do something else. Because Absolutely. The writing is so sharp, the observations, the, the human observations are just awesome. and. You know, maybe they, maybe they take it from someone else's point of view, like Alan or somebody else. Yeah. Well, we just gave them their "I love" or their "New York I Love You" idea. Yes. To turn into a whole show. Totally. So. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> Send them the pitch. I, I think the viewer, the listener, the listener, not the viewer, should watch that episode and then think about that idea and see what they think and like write it or something. Let us know because I, I think that's a good idea. Absolutely. It could be really. Yeah, and I'd be, I'd love to hear it too from people who don't live in New York. Yeah. Because we're super psyched about it, but right, right. are my parents in Ohio very psyched? Actually, they probably would be. That's the thing about a great <laughs> show, though, right? Like yeah. It, it, like, it translates. Absolutely. You know, I love Seinfeld as a kid. I'd never been to New York. Yeah. Right? And, and it's not New York. No. Well, it is New York. It is and it isn't. It's yeah. the fake New York that I'm talking about, but it is yeah. very New York y too now that I've you know, been here forever. Um, connected with it on another level. I mean, somewhat, because you're right, it's not authentic New York. It is very right. studio-based New York. Um, but, but it is. Yeah. yeah. Jerry Seinfeld is a New Yorker. Sure. And, and but everyone, I think a lot of people are, like, everyone, really, if something's really good, essentially, it, it, it's universal and it translates everywhere, right? Absolutely. Time and place might be a little bit 
that extra little bit of you know greatness for someone else who's really part of it. But uh, yeah, you know, I think if it's universal, it's universal. So our advice is absolutely watch Master of None, and when you finish, go and watch I Love Dick and await a future episode from us talking about it. Yeah, definitely. I really want to talk about that. I love that show. Um, and just so people know, it's by the, the maker of, uh, of Transparent, Jill Soloway, and everyone seemed to adore Transparent, so... I like this better than Transparent. So do I. So do I. Although, I think Transparent is amazing. Yes. Yeah, not just light Transparent, but this is, yeah. this is a very different thing that is very special. So, cool, thank you cool. for joining me yeah, today. Thanks for having me again, and, uh, well, let's do this again. Yes. <laughs> find us on soundcloud you can find us on itunes and you can also find the podcast posted on our home theplaylist.net on itunes please subscribe and consider leaving a comment or rate our pod all feedback is appreciated you can find me at the creatively titled at kimber myers m-y-e-r-s on twitter and we'll see you next time